The Say Something Podcast is brought to you by AmomentWithMorris.com and BlackBlueprints.com. That's BlackBlueprints with a Z dot com. I am Jermaine Morris here with the one and only Mr. Barry Axius. Yes, sir. We are bringing you the newest episode of the Say Something Podcast. Say something, say something, say something. That's where we get together to talk about everything going on in the life and the world out here in these streets. In these cool, cool, cool streets. <laughs> episode number 63 coming your way. Boop, boop, boop. Doing big day, making our way on up. This is a... This episode, special shout out. We have this moment in black excellence, this moment in black uh, history. Yes. Uh, we'd like to shine on a on a sister who has passed, okay. one of, gone on to, to be one of our one, one of our ancestors. Um, and she was born in June of 1895. Mm-hmm. And why, with looking at what her life was, when you hear people talk about how so much went on in, in, in our history in America was that long ago, this to show that it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. So she was born in, in uh, June of 1895. She was the daughter of two former enslaved parents. So her parents had, were, who had been slaves at some point in their lives. Her father even fought in the Civil War. Uh, she was one of 13. And as she uh, grew up, she was only one of a handful of uh, black students at an all-white school that she ended up going to. And to kind of fit in and to get in her kind of getting where she fit in, uh, she was singing and dancing. So that's how she made friends, and that's how she became kind of popular. And as she did that through her teen years, she ended up meeting this guy who was a, a Broadway producer, and it was a blues singer, and kind of put her on to, to the arts on a, on a bigger scale. During the course of her life and her career, she ended up being in over 300 films. Mm. Okay. And she was a radio personality, and doing like groundbreaking work. I mean, she went to perform the USO with acts like Lena Horne. Like she, she, she did a lot. And part of what she kind of got some backlash, specifically from the black community, because they was always saying that she did all these stereotypical roles. That you know she was a bad look for the cause, the movement, because she was always known as playing that sassy maid, or she was the one that was. You know, that mammy role that became so popular out of that era. She went on to be the first black woman on not only starred, but recurring roles on radio. She was also the first black woman to win an Academy Award. Mm. And when she even went to receive her Oscar, she didn't get the statue that everybody's most remembers. Mm. She got the plaque that they used to give at the time to supporting actors. And in this building, it was a segregated building. And so they made a special exception for her, but she was at a two-person table segregated against the far back wall when it came to receiving her award. She went on to get two stars on the one on the Hollywood Walk of the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and then she got one for the uh, Black Filmmakers Hall of Fame. And she took so much heat in her day, and so much so much heat during her era, but from the hoops that she decided to go through kind of working from the system within when it came to, to music and film, open the door for actresses that came down the road all the way to our, our Angela Bassett's and our Jada Pinkett's and our Halle Berry's and all that. Uh, rest in peace and show a little love one time to Miss Hattie McDaniel. Yeah, young Hattie. Right. Yeah. Here with us in the celebrating, if you heard a little extra clap action, we got a special guest here with us this episode. Dun, 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 dun. Since we're talking about, you know, doing it in film and in TV and radio, got a brother sitting next to me, author of the book Black Fatherhood Trials and Tribulations, sure Testimonies and Triumph, as well as the documentary of the same name. Here with us one time, Dr. Khalid Akil. Yes, White. sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Pleasure to be here with you this afternoon, this evening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you, sir. So you, you did the uh, the book and the documentary of the same name. Absolutely. Uh, what inspired you to put that out and why did you feel it was uh, so necessary to be made? Well, you know, it's timely. I think that the issue of fatherhood, particularly black fatherhood, is something that um you know, it's going to stand the test of time, honestly. Um, it's a, it's an issue that we've been dealing with. Um, it's some stereotypes we've been dealing with regarding black fatherhood. And it's also, um, you know, time that we're changing the narrative now. We're changing those images. I think that we're changing it more on a 
grassroots level, if you, if you do what they call the eye test, a lot of brothers are um, stepping up to the plate and being responsible, regardless if they're with the, the mother or the child or not. And so um, I just wanted to talk about some of that and some of those images and some of that positivity that we are, uh, you know, we're exuding and we're showing now, as opposed to all the you know, stereotypes and that type of thing. Uh, so you, you have kids? Yes, I do. How One daughter. One daughter. One daughter. Eleven-year-old daughter. Um, and she is the love of my life. Is know? she uh, with the wife that you have right now? No, she's not. Okay. She's with, uh, you know, me and her mother are not together. We, we co-parent. And her mother, honestly, is doing a, you know, a great job with her. I will say that. Um, we're continuing to co-parent. And we're trying to, you know, work that, that whole situation and system out. It it's got some ups and downs okay yeah that's what we want to know so, so because i'm a, a part of that co-parenting yeah. piece as well yeah yeah what inspired you first of all to write the book okay. and to do the documentary okay. and at the same particular time was it from the standpoint of where you and the relationship that didn't work with your child's mother did it stem from that was that the motivation that wasn't the motivation honestly uh the motivation for me to do it was um and i'll share the story before what i was watching the situation unfold with um, Michael Brown out there in Ferguson, Missouri, and how they blame, you know, the death of Michael Brown and the subsequent riots on, um, you know, the the father or stepfather in, in Michael Brown's case, and the lack thereof fathering and parenthood, and then, you know, pretty much just blame the the death and the riots on Michael Brown's family and his community, saying, hey, if you guys were more involved, you know, uh, he would still be alive and we wouldn't have a riot. And I was kind of pissed because, you know. Not kind of pissed. I was pissed because, again, they took away all the responsibility from the people and the persons who, who killed him. You know, later on, that officer was found innocent and no charges brought up. You know, the, yeah. the whole the whole story we could you know continue to see. So I just was mad, man, because um, I knew too many African-American men who were responsible and who were um, hands on with their children. And, you know, I want to be able to give light to that story when the media gives light to all these other stories of the deadbeat dad and try to put the deadbeat, you know, stereotype on Michael Brown and his family and that type of thing. It just, you know, really, really pissed me off. So um, in a nutshell, it's kind of like a social justice project for me. You know, I wanted to bring some. I can't bring Michael Brown back. And the book, you know, doesn't even touch on the Michael Brown story. Neither does the video. But at the same time, it touches on those scenarios and circumstances, you know, that maybe may have been surrounding in the Michael Brown um, situation and also within Michael Brown's community out there in Ferguson. Okay. Your documentary yeah. as in the book is, uh, it's, it's very, it's got a very cool concept to it in the mm -hmm. sense that you have the perspective of so many different kinds of people yeah. as they address fatherhood. And so was that something that you were consciously aware of? Like, I want to get people of these different ages or these different circumstances. Was that just, let me just talk to whomever. Did you seek these people out specifically? Like, <clears throat> well, uh, to answer that, I, I sought out specifically people in certain scenarios. Okay. Whether it was a person of a certain age or you know, I wanted people to, with a range of ages, um, but I really wanted more so people in certain situations that black men or and just men in general, dads find themselves in, whether it's the co-parenting piece. Okay. Whether it is again um, raising a child who's not your biological child who you know, raising a kid who, um, you know, is a biracial kid and how that looks, um, whether it is, you know, having multiple kids with multiple women and dealing with family court and child support, all the things we kind of find ourselves in. I wanted to get men to kind of speak on those issues. And so um, I was able to find several men who, despite the trials and tribulations, they stayed down and stayed in the picture with their kids and are still active in their kids' lives. And so that's kind of, you know. Yeah, because it was pretty deep. Uh, and listening to you talk, uh, I had the, the privilege of, of hearing you uh, mm -hmm. doing a book signing and talking on the, the family court system yeah. about the, the, the struggles that brothers go through because there is this, this misnomer that no brothers fight for their kids and that, you know, black men don't stand up to be parents and aren't there. But there are a lot of extra hoops that black men have to jump through when it comes to the court system that the average, you know, Johnny on the street may not be aware of. Absolutely. And, and I think it was great that you brought that piece to it that people can see like, nah, like we, we, people aren't just making it up, you know, that, that there's, mm -hmm. there, there's a lot of things. And then that you supplied information. Mm -hmm. So not just like, OK, well, this is somebody's struggle, but here are some steps. 
like sure. like like here's so here's some things that that you can do to to avoid those things. Uh, what kind of feedback have you been getting? Man, from the community, the feedback's been great. Um, you know, everybody. One of the most um, uh, responses I get the most is like, "Hey, man, you should include in me. I got my story. I want to tell my story. That type of thing." Uh, yeah, you know? I, I definitely said that. If I'm not on number two. I don't know what's going on. I'm one of the greatest fathers that's ever did it. Absolutely. Straight up. So you know, um, I get those types of responses all the time. But that just lets me know that, hey, man, um, it's made it's made some impact. It it um. It's relevant to people. It makes sense. It people can see themselves, you know, a little piece of themselves in and that type of thing. So that's been um, the greatest responses that I've gotten. You know, it, it touches some nerves. It strikes some, you know, some 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 nerves and some. Um, it triggers some people because these situations are very real. You know, when you're dealing with um, parenting, fatherhood, motherhood, or the lack thereof, you know, that's that's people still harbor those wounds and. It's still a lot of um, what they call daddy wounds and mama wounds out there, you know, that people have to deal with. Um, it's a lot of trauma, a lot of um, therapy that I think we need, you know, and healing. Yeah. So, you know, it's going it's, it's, it's gonna to touch on some, you know, some, some sensitive topics. And so um, I knew that going into it and I'm OK with it. But we have to be able to, uh, you know, to, to, to touch on some of those wounds in order for them to heal. And, uh, you know, I think that's one of these uh one of the the benefits of doing this work is we, we start this healing process. So a little bit about you. Did mm-hmm. you grow up with, with your parents? I grew up with my parents, yes, although um, they are not together. I definitely still have both of them in my life, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm pleased to say that. My parents split up when I was about maybe 10, 9, 10, something like that. You know, so it was still pretty young, man. Um, How about your relationship with your dad? You guys close? We're still very close, man. Still very close. Uh, I'm fortunate in the fact that, you know, um, he still was a dad to me and my brothers and still is, you know, and, and he's a grandfather now. So he gets, you know, the chance to kind of um, do the whole grandfather thing. But he's still, you know, a, a very valuable resource in my life. And I look back and say, man, I'm I'm glad I had him, you know, that I had him. Is he, is he perfect? No. Is he always right? No. You know, but I'm glad I had him as that example. Yeah, because I think that part gets missed a little bit in fatherhood, too. We always talk about kids, mm-hmm. like your daddy when you're 10 or when you're 11. But fathers are still so instrumental when you're 30. Absolutely. Like, you know, it's one thing they'll teach you how to tie a tie or, or how to ride a bike or, or to read or something when you're a little kid. But your father can be there when you get your heart broke the first time. Yeah. Your father can talk to you about buying your first house. Mm-hmm. Your father can talk to you about being a father the first time. Absolutely. You know, that perspective of when past 15 but when you're 30 yeah, you man. know pops is 50 60 whatever like well when you turn 30 and maybe you weren't at where you want to be in your career how did you feel mm-hmm. you know where were you out of those lines i think fatherhood we we, we like to minimize it to just kids yeah. but that's that's you know fathers just play a, a strong role throughout your entire life if you're fortunate enough to have one absolutely you hit a, you hit um the nail right on the head at least in my you know scenario with my dad um i'm able now to ask some questions on advice on how to you know, progressing life as an adult. Yeah. Um, when I was getting ready to propose to my wife, first person I asked was him. You know what I'm saying? Like, Dad, you know, I'm thinking about doing this. I'm thinking about busting this move. What do you think? You know what I mean? I'm thinking about That's doing cool X or Y. You know what I mean? Like, so we got that type of relationship. Um, and I'm fortunate, you know, not everybody has that. I understand that. I'm able to ask him for advice, get his opinions, suggestions. You know, it's not about calling him up and asking for money. You know, I got my pride. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to do that, but... If I need to, I know that he can loan me five dollars or something like that if necessary. But more so, it's just getting the wisdom, man. Getting, getting the knowledge, getting the the know-how, the wherewithal, that type of thing, and the support. You know, I still need it. I yeah. still need that encouragement. Still need that support. That support. So need to know the son, what you're doing is important. You know, and I'm proud of you. I mean, that. You know, you can't put a dollar value on that. That 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 still gets you at forty as well as fourteen. Absolutely. Because we hear a lot in our community that the biggest reason why we have, you know, quote unquote, the problems we have is due to lack of fatherhood representation. If more men raised their kids, we'd have uh, less teenage pregnancies, less gangs, less drugs, mm-hmm. uh, less dropouts, less all that. And I don't take away that that to a degree that that's true. You know, it's not the end all be all. It's not the only factor. Right. Uh, and, and then there are a lot of fathers who, who are involved. So when you see stuff on TV and you see stuff on the news and 
you know, you said with 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 the the Ferguson situation, how it struck a chord with you that the first thing that somebody goes to is not uh, police misconduct or uh, you know leaving a body in the middle of the street for hours on end has to do with the type of father that this that this dude had. You know that that those fatherhood. So when you start seeing stuff like. Well, we're from Sacramento out here. So when you see the like the Stephon Clark situation, mm-hmm. which will remind you of, of, you know, what happened in Ferguson. And the first thing that people go to is, is you know, what was his daddy around? Yeah. You know, like when, when you start seeing that stuff across the board, does, does that start to does that strike the same chord with you as it did in Ferguson? Do you do you, or is it just a narrative that you just tired of hearing? Do you think it's it's, it's got it's valid? Do you think that it's it's blown out of proportion? Do you think that it's you know what I mean like it's one thing to say that this is it, but I think there's a whole lot of stuff that's purposely hidden and that's what's thrown in front of it. Right. Well, I mean, you know, am I tired of hearing these things and seeing and reading about? Absolutely. Right. However, as black men, we know that we kind of targeted. Right. Yeah. Not kind of targeted. We are targeted. We 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 are, you know being hunted. Um, unfortunately, by you know these rogue police officers and these in the criminal justice system just in general, and so when I see the Stefan Clark situation, the fact that he was a dad of two, yeah, um, and that gets swept under the rug. They talk, they want to show everything about who he wasn't or what his brother isn't, or yeah. you know, not the fact that the officers you know took this man's life unjustified, um, didn't have a gun, said he said he had a gun, all these different type of stuff. You know, we're getting away from the actual point is that this young man was murdered in cold blood at his grandparents' house. Because they never ask if the officers had a daddy. Never, you know. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's never the, there's never the, 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 that, that conversation. There's never a look into the officer's background or, you know, their upbringing or whatever the case may be, you know, or the training that they had or didn't have. Or the fact that, again, um, in Sacramento, there's been 20 some odd murders of black men by the police that have gone, you know, just swept under the rug and hey, life goes on. Yeah, they just had the the uh, Pennsylvania the shooting of of the the young man who was shot, shot in his back, his back. By, by a police officer who'd been on the job ninety minutes. You know, he'd been sworn in for ninety minutes, less than a movie. Yeah, like if you went to go watch the Avengers movie before the movie let out, before Thanos snapped his fingers, this dude was on 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 patrol, taking somebody's life that was running from him. I mean, you know, when you put it in that type of perspective, mate, did this guy get on the force just to go shoot somebody black? You know, I mean, you, you got to look at that. If I've been on a job 90 minutes, 90 minutes, why are you even out on patrol with a gun? Why aren't you? You know, this is we saw the movie Training Day and that yeah. was fake. You know what I mean? And that, that was a movie. Right. But no one is supposed to be out in the field doing these types of things and busting these types of moves. Or um, being in a position of um, influence or authority, I would assume, on the first day, you're supposed to be under the tutelage of somebody who's like a, you know, a vet, right? Yeah. Who has some, you know, some some knowledge about what's going on. So it just kind of makes me wonder, like, man, did did a person join the force just to justifiably shoot somebody, or just to say, hey, I got a gun? It goes back to this, you know, the stereotypes of police. They probably was bullied as kids themselves yeah. and joined the force to feel tough and all that stuff, man. But again, the media really won't show mainstream media won't show that they'll spin it on this young man. He probably had braids or a hoodie on or, or something, you know, like he that. was sagging or something, something to justify um, the fact that he's not here. And there's really no justification for it. you shoot somebody in the back. That's in any other situation. That's called a gangland or gang style murder, right? Yeah. Shoot somebody in the back. Because here's the thing. To this day, I don't know if Dylan Roof has a father involved in his life. I don't know if George Zimmerman grew up with his father. Right. I don't know if like all these people who are involved in things that take the lives uh, of black people, their their history, their family history is never brought to light. Never. That is absolutely plays no role in the assessment that's made about that individual. Mm-hmm. But the second when it comes to something with us, you know, they bring up if you got detention in the second grade, yeah. you know, or what what neighborhood you live in, what class of, 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 you know, social class you're a part of or did you graduate high school? None of that matters, man. In the in the grand scheme of things, you killed a young black man unjustifiably shot him in his back or shot him with his hands up or said he had a gun when he had a cell phone. All this different type of stuff, man. If the shoe was on the other foot. 
they would be killed. You know? It'd be called every blaming man, the victim. Every black man would be It'd be called blaming the victim. If you shot a white person, and the first thing man. you did is bring up their family history, that's blaming the victim. Exactly. So, you know, it's a double standard for us in the criminal justice system. It's a double standard for us with law enforcement. We know that. Um, however, those of us who are in positions of leadership, whether it's in the home or, you know, just in terms of our families or have impact on the community, we have an obligation to, you know, try to protect ourselves and not necessarily protect ourselves just with physically, but also, you know, mentally and emotionally and protect our youngins. Because that's really what we, you know, part of our job as men and as leaders, you guys, I know that you out in the community. Part of it is to uh, emotionally and mentally protect the people that we're working with to keep yeah. out of these situations okay. as best we can. So, Barry, you, 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 I don't have any children, so I, I'm going to shoot this to the two of you guys. Mm-hmm. So the the day that you found out you were going to become a father, both of you guys, however that situation played itself out, if it was a yeah. phone call, if it was a letter, whatever, uh, did you feel a shift? Like, Because for some people, they say that, you know, once I found out I was going to have a baby, my whole life changed. Other people, the, the curve's a little slower. You know, like maybe one or two, then they double back and come back around. Is it like because there's always the, the, the narrative is, is that black men don't have that attachment to fatherhood that some of these other cultures allegedly have more of. Mm-hmm. Like so speaking as two guys firsthand who, who, who are fathers and been on the job, you know, you over a decade, him over two. Mm-hmm. You know, what does that what does that speak to you? Like the idea of fatherhood, like when you first became a dad, found out you're going to be a dad. How did that like resonate with you? Like just so, you know. The the real world feeling on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, fatherhood as a black man living in America. Um, the one thing about me, unfortunately, I've had a, a few incidents where I've made a couple mistakes as far as, um, you know, having uh, two abortions coming in the game. So, you know, when I was finally with the person that I felt like, OK, you know, we, we need to do this. I had like two abortions in high school. And to me, it wasn't um, a emotional thing. It more or less was like, yo, you know, we're here in a situation and you know, we can't take care of this kid. Right. Um, but I had no idea the emotional ties that it was with the woman, okay. the girl I was dating at that particular time. But we were both in high school. Wait a minute. Two with the same girl? Yeah. Oh, I, I okay. Like a, a coming in the gate. Oh, okay. I, I thought I it was like different with, girls, like the no, same girl came, had two. I came oh, okay. with two abortions, right? Okay. And the same. Then the second time around, she had, you know, a pregnant again. Mm-hmm. And this time, again, I'm a senior in high school. I'm ready to go because I saw what it did, the abortion. I saw what it did to her, and I was okay. like, yo, maybe this is a sign from, um, you know, from the Most High that, yo, it's time for you to walk into this walk and this responsibility. I mean, you're responsible enough to go ahead and do the. The adult thing, you got to be responsible enough to, um, you know, the adult thing. do the adult thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But she again um, had an abortion, and her mother actually um, was like begging me because I was. She sold me. She was like, "Yo, I don't want to do it again." And she was breaking it down how we can make it happen. And I was like, "Well, you know, I do kind of care about her, and um, I don't want her to go through abortion." And at that that sense of time, I wanted to believe that I needed a sense of belonging. Because I'm a senior, the the window of who I was was about to close and I was about to enter a whole different realm that I didn't know nothing about. Okay. Right. So you think about it, four years, I'm the man, freshman, sophomore, junior, you know, senior, yeah. I'm God, right? Now it's about to be after senior, there ain't no map, mm-hmm. right? I wasn't going to a college, right? You know what I'm saying? I was pretty much my whole life I was hustling, and most of my partners had started getting locked up, and we, you know, more serious things were starting to emerge, right? Um, a lot of drug use, uh, you know, a lot of homelessness for some of my partners, and I felt like this would probably be a good step into starting my newfound manhood, right? Okay. Mother okay. broke it down, said, "My daughter's not ready. You're not ready. Take it from me." Um, who has two um, children mm-hmm. that I have to had the whole full responsibility of when I had my kid when I was young. So we had the abortion, but comes around again. I have <laughs> you would think I would learn, <laughs> right? I end up having uh, you know my girlfriend year a year later, and um, it didn't even take that long for us to uh, you know uh, have this situation come again. Mm-hmm. And at this particular time, I was like, yo. I'm ready to have it. Like let's 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 do it. Um, I thought me and her were at the right page. 
on doing things. So we had the child. So I was really excited about having a kid. Um, I felt like, you know, I was in the right place. But again, I wasn't in the right state of mind because I was young, didn't really know where I was going. And I was uh, heavily depressed. Okay. Right. I was very depressed coming out of high school. When we talk about um, guidance and we talk about um, that male leadership, my father and I didn't have that. Okay. We didn't have that um, come to Jesus moment where, okay, son, you know, here's the black blueprints. This is what you need to do. Mm-hmm. It was pretty much, you know, me and him were fighting bulls when we were going through the high school years. And my dad finally said, yo, I'm finna go back to Haiti, do some things. And my whole idea was like, yo, he's going to come back. He's going to be proud of me because I held down the household, things of that nature. But I ended up getting my girlfriend pregnant. But then he said he wasn't even coming back. So before he could even find out. You know, I was expecting a baby. He was going to be a grandfather. He was um, pretty much on his way to his retirement in Haiti. So we had the child. Um, quiet is kept. Me and her, my daughter's mom, who are uh, we're very great friends to this day. She's actually one of my business partners with my um, nonprofit. And of course, my daughter, as many know, my relationship with her is like, that's my girl. Like, for yeah. real, for real. To be honest with you, in that moment, we were actually put together. Right. We were like had the apartment, had the house, you know, both working. So in reality, we were pretty much on a good foot. But it was all those things that we didn't know. I didn't know about the postpartum depression and all these yeah. different things. I didn't know what that meant. I thought it was like, what, you don't love me anymore. So I'm thinking I got to run back to the streets. I didn't understand that. I did not know how to adjust being still growing as a young man, as an adult to basically like, yo, you got babysitting duties. You know what I'm saying? It was like, wait a minute. I still want to go out. <laughs> well, you can't go out because ain't no one going to sit there and take care of your child but you. So the growing pains of um, being a father for the third time about hearing it, I was excited. But I didn't understand, nor did I realize or never had the conversation because I had friends that had young um, babies. I remember one of my best friends at that particular time. He had a baby when he was a junior, Mm, a junior in high school. And the unfortunate thing about that, which was his first baby, um, he never took care of that child. Right. And with me, I always uh, stuck to to, to my guns. If me and my daughter's mom wasn't going to be together, I was going to always take care of my child. So I feel that I've done that in, in, in such a way. That um, any of my shortcomings, anything that was in my relationship with my father, I didn't step into that with my daughter, um, as many would know, as how I um, uphold my daughter to the utmost. But at the same time, I was very flawed in the beginnings of my fatherhood because I did not realize as much as that baby is important, that person that you have a child with is just as important. And the fact that picking a right mate with this responsibility, because it ain't just 18 years. No, it's, it's a lifetime commitment. Mm-hmm. Um I didn't realize some of the extremities. Forget about the diapers. Forget about the milk. Or forget about uh, you know the strollers and who's gonna watch who. I had no idea, no clue that the cohesiveness between me and her, the woman that I laid with to have this child, was just as important as me figuring out a five-year, ten-year plan for my child. Okay. Well, do, before we slide over to you, Doctor, a couple things you brought up which would stick out, which I don't think we we touch on enough. In our society. So the first thing that, that kind of hit my radar is, is your emotional feelings when she had an abortion. Because you never hear about mm-hmm. the guy's real perspective yeah. on when that happens. So maybe in the moment you were like, this is probably the best thing because we're not logistically ready. Did it ever hit you later? <clears throat> like, were you ever six months down the road, a year down the road? Were you ever like, did it ever really stick with you? Or had you kind of turned the corner because it was the right decision at the time? Um. The like I said, the first time I had no idea the emotional attachment of the woman. I thought we would just and on top of that, when I was about to have the kid, I don't think the science was out there as much as it is now. Yeah. I'm thinking we just taking care of some business and let's get on, let's move it up, move move, move yeah. ahead with the schedule plan. Goes on, yeah. Um when I realized the effect that it had on her when the second time she got pregnant and she was like begging me and crying every time I came to her please don't make me do this please don't make me do it I felt compelled I was like well damn mm-hmm. and in, in, a, in, in, a, in a rude in a weird way I mean I think that you know we always think we're shooting blanks you know what I'm saying because these young boys we just wilding out yeah, doing yeah, what we do yeah. so it's like oh man I can't even have a child I'm pulling out whatever what we thinking so I'm like well maybe if I have a second abortion I'll never have that opportunity to have a kid again okay. so I think that that part of me um 
felt really, really bad the second time around because I realized that this is just not um, going having some kind of procedure. This person is killing a, a living being in her stomach, right? Yeah. Compared to me just thinking like, oh, girl, it's like not. Tooth pulled. Yeah, yeah. It's not. Yeah. Not only that, but it ain't. Um, there's no emotional attachment to it. It hasn't, um, you know, grown any length. It ain't a real person, right? Yeah. You know, so I think that second time around, it really hit me. That's why when the third time it came, I was just like, yo. We have to have the. I, I was in all support of having, you know, the child. But again, I think that's why, you know, we do the work that we do. I tell a, a young person, women or or male, don't have a kid too early. You know, you know, save that 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 sacred spot, save that love um, when you're ready, when you know. Young love is such an experience, as we call it, teenage love, whether it's even if you're 21. Yeah. It's such an experience that you're so blindsided yeah. off potential, right? Yeah. You're so blindsided off of, I remember what my daughter's mom used to cook me, fried chicken and brownies and rice aroni, And I was like, yeah, this is my wife forever. <laughs> then you kind of figure out, like, shoot, rice aroni comes from a box. <laughs> it ain't yeah. even real rice, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't really like fried chicken. I, I You know, I like um, chicken breast uh, smothered in mushrooms or something like that but there's so much more into life you don't really know um until you experience life and experience the world to what you really want and i figure that me and her are great friends but we were never um compatible in a way to have a child and it has to understandably get what i tell these youngsters compatibility is so important when you think about you're going to be with this person for life yep. So when yep. and, and similar to you, when you first got the 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 news, the, the news <laughs> was it? Uh, I, I heard some of the story when, when we spoke before, yeah. but if you can kind of give people like a little insight into like the thought process, what goes through your mind, like when you're just living your life, doing your thing, and all of a sudden you find out, you know, you you've created a life with somebody. For you sure. Know? Yeah, man. Um, for me, it really wasn't a happy experience, you know. Um, and I've gone on. I speak on that. Yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't happy news, man, because I was, you know, I was trying to be a person who uh, didn't have no any attachments to, uh, you know, one woman. Um, I was trying to have player, player. Yeah, I was trying to be, in, you know, in, in several different uh, situations, and I, and I, you know, for lack of a better term, I, when did you have? When was you, when was uh, the age? Twenty five. Okay. Yeah. So I, I definitely was kind of in a more. See, mine was like nineteen. Yeah, but you know, honestly, I had the mentality of like a seventeen-year-old. You know what I mean? So I was twenty-five, yeah, but my, my mind was saying. probably you know seventeen, eighteen. So I was still in that. Hey man, I'm just I'm out here like uh, what was it? Prince Hakeem said, "I'm gonna sell my royal oats yeah. or whatever." <laughs> you know, I'm out here doing doing that and just you know kind of moving and shaking. And so when I got the news, man, it um it really wasn't a pleasant a pleasant call to get. Um, I had to adjust to it and, and, and I had to um, prepare for it as best I could. But during the whole time, well, at least the, the first part of the pregnancy, I was I was fighting it. I was considering packing up and leaving, considering um, going to be a deadbeat. Nigga, yeah, huh? exactly. <laughs> and I had really kind of felt like, man, you know what? I can understand how a person can be a deadbeat because I feel like just bouncing, you know, just bouncing, basically changing the phone number. Taking all the money that was out the bank account, ghost and I was getting ready to, you know, go somewhere else outside the state of California, man, where I couldn't be found, right? Wow. And just hide. But um, again, man, I, you know, I had too many examples of people who around me who were um, active with their children and raising their kids, and regardless of their um, marital or relationship situations, you know, they were really staying down for the home team, and so. I didn't want to be that person that was a deadbeat. I didn't want to have that 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 jacket on me, and I don't want to have that. Um, I couldn't look look myself in the mirror, yeah. you know, and and be okay with myself. You know, I'm I'm I can look myself today in the mirror and say, hey man, I I did the right thing, I made the right decision. But at the time, no, nah, I was I was devastated, floored, you know. Well, I think the crucial part with that <clears throat> is is that you had a bunch of models of of possibility around you. You had, a sure. you had a bunch of representation of, of stand-up dudes and good fathers. Yeah, definitely. And that helped me. That still helps me because, um, you know, the model or the blueprint, the black blueprint, yes, sir. right, is important. We got to have some type of plan or some type of structure. And I had that and I still have it. And I see how uh, influential and impactful that was on me and still is on me and 
you know, man, it's it's really a privilege to be a father. Now I'm seeing that, that now. Say, that. say that one more time, man. Say that one more time for the folks in the back. It is a privilege. It is an honor. It is really a um a, a, like a a step up in the manhood game to be mm-hmm. able to have a child. Because for one, not everybody's physically able to do it. Yeah, True. doesn't happen. True. For two. Um, not everybody is mentally or emotionally able to do it. True. And for three, man, it really is a game changer. And I really, um, you know, I'm biased. I have a daughter. I know you have a daughter. But man. but the relationship between the father and the daughter is a real thing, Deep. you know? Not to say the relationship between sons and fathers or, you know, but when you had a mama's boy and a daddy's girl, man, yeah. that's real. And, yeah. and me and my daughter, uh, we got a, you know, a great you know, well, I think it's a great relationship. <laughs> Sometimes Wait until she, she gets older, you'll find out the truth. Yeah, man. So I'm I'm working to make sure that you know when she is 21, 25, whatever the case, or when she you know is ready to move on to be into womanhood and get married or whatever the case may be, that she can say, you know what, Dad, thank you for doing what you did and thank you for being there in the ways you have been. Um, you know. And and I appreciate that. The same way that I'm able to kind of say that to my dad and to my grandfathers and that type of thing. See, see, the thing about it, I look at it when we talk about the privilege piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it was a beautiful thing when you came down to Sacramento. Uh, for those who didn't show up, we had the movie for free. Um, and you, you know, you you shared that that intimacy with yeah. us with your uh, with your documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the powerful conversation we had afterwards. Such a great um cast of brothers and sisters that was on the panel to break down the truth and i think the black truth about fatherhood right because the stigma is black fathers um one don't matter black fathers are never there black fathers are deadbeat but the original deadbeats was a white man right you know because he was going in Uh the master was going in and having uh uh, you know babies not only out of wedlock but babies um out of just being bastards Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying in the sense of just raping and um maliciously um taking from our, our, our black women and okay. I apologize that some of our brothers have kind of found that same antidote of, of feeling that that's what it is um, and that behavior is not from black men that behavior is from our, our white slave masters right um, but still no excuse so when I say privilege the honor that I have to be able to sit there and say that I've planted a seed yeah. um, not only planted a seed but I've molded I've shaped mm-hmm. um my ingredients, my black blueprints, as we like to say, um, has been able to lift this person up to those moments of her greatness. I can sit there and say, had a part in that, That's right? True. Genetically, uh, uh, emotionally, physically. One thing my dad did wasn't um, a great thing in the sense of telling me, but a great thing in the sense of giving me an example. The example that he showed me was hard work. An example that he showed me that even in the most... Um, the terrible times, I'm going to take care of family. So he took care of my mother. My mother was, uh, I never had my mother in a, in, a, in, a, in a position to where she was able to give me these emotional needs, where she was able to teach me things that most young men will be able to say their mother was able to teach. And not even an example of, yo, that's what I shouldn't do because she was a crackhead. It was nothing like that. My mom um, was mentally uh, ill. She had bipolar mm-hmm. and she was schizophrenic. And this was from me from the beginning. right? That's yeah. what I, my memories of my mom is that. Right. It was no. Oh, yeah. I remember when we went. It wasn't had, gradual. Nah, was we wouldn't one. had no. It wasn't no Christmas, even though my mom was normal at a time. But it wasn't anything to where I remember. So having that um, lack of nurturing because my aunties were pit bulls, even though I love them to death. I had my father that had to be everything. Hmm. And my father, from when I knew because I had some bitterness to my dad and I shared that at the panel because my dad, if he loved me, he sure didn't like me. You know what I'm saying? Like, so if he if he loved me, he sure didn't like me during the teen years. Right. Um, I was very upset, angry when my father, um, who made the promise that he was coming back, never came back. And we had so much um, un, uh, 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 things. So some things that we needed to kind of um, hash out and we never did it. Okay. Some um, some things that I felt like as men, now that I am, that I was able to learn i was able to listen and he was able to teach because he was a, the definition of a real man's man because again he took care of my mom when he didn't have to mm. and then um the stuff that he did for me i could probably be serving prison time if my father was one of those fathers that um didn't care enough for his son and kept me in the system i put myself in the system but he could have definitely kept me in the system when he used to find my stash he used to find my stashes of marijuana 
And I'm talking about big amounts of marijuana. Don't know where that dude put it, but he found <laughs> a big amount of marijuana. And somehow, some way, he wouldn't even say anything to me. I would go in there. To, it was in my mother's room. Would go in there. I'd hide in my mom's room. Mm. I'd come in and I would look. And I know my mom ain't did nothing because my mom was out of this her mind. And I would just we wouldn't even say it. wasn't a, a conversation. Yeah. It was you motherfucker, right? I would just look, and he would look at me. I'd go upstairs, and it was to the point where he found like my sash probably three or four times, big weed, mm-hmm. and just it would disappear, right? And um, he could have easily called my probation officer. And I would have been put in uh, a jail, and then eventually I would have probably went into some other um, stints, and I probably could have screwed my life up. Yeah. He never did that, but at the same time, we never talked about it. You know what I'm saying? Okay. And so our conversations were kind of like, yo, he said some some rude things to me, but I'm sure that I did some rude things to him with my actions. Mm-hmm. And so when he left, I was hoping that we could mend, hopefully we can build. And I was very angry that my father wasn't a part of what this was now like he would be a, a grandfather his first grandchild was my daughter um him being able to help me as we talked about early navigate through this fatherhood what does this look like i've seen you do it but i don't really know the ins and outs of this yeah. so my auntie one day talked to me said why are you so bitter about your dad and i was just going off i said i don't care if he dies if he died um i i you know it wouldn't even bother me i'm like she's like dude you're tripping yeah. she said she broke it down about my father's relationship with his father Mm -hmm. and that's when i understood my father couldn't have gave me anything that he didn't know himself he didn't learn it and understand it because he never had it so what i did intentionally for these niggas who are debating about i want to be in my child's life or fuck my baby mama and the system got me this or whatever excuse a nigga want to make and i get Trust me, because my daughter's mom, even though we're super cool, we went through hell after cool the breakup. Now. It wasn't always. Yeah. Oh, well, oh, no, cool we went now. through hell. <laughs> yeah. The bottom line is you got to figure out a place and a way to coexist and at the same time never make that excuse. But understand that the importance of being able to stay connected with that child and give that child everything that you did not get. Yeah. So what I took from what my relationship was, my father was all the goods and intangibles my daddy had because he had plenty but i made sure those things i lacked that i wanted i made sure i installed them with my my daughter and that's why my relationship with my daughter is i love her and i like her so it's no mistake now does she get on my nerves you're damn right do Mm -hmm. i still have to chastise her on times i just did it probably last week but when i can sit there and tell you that um she moved to la for the summertime to do her internship um, she's at the BET experience right now doing her internship and this is her third or fourth year I believe doing it um, to watch her see now how her father has worked as hard and how I'm so focused on not only the business that I have and, and working with all the young people that I'm working committing myself as being an uncle or father for them and just moving uh, uh, the movement with them but I'm committed to making sure that she gets everything I have all my resources all my energy uh, all my thoughts all my mistakes all my learned lessons to make sure she is successful like it is more than fatherhood to 18 it's fatherhood for life Absolutely. and it's a privilege for me and an honor for someone to be uh, a person that i help create to be able to navigate with them and i don't see how you would want to move um from that feeling the feeling is priceless no material thing can give you that and i wake up every morning excited about being a father and i think that is something where brothers lack and i told a brother uh, what i saw in la because he said i i i feel like i've failed as a father i said you haven't failed as a father until you fail as a father the one thing about it what you need to know and i think brothers need to grasp it's not about the material things that a child wants it's about that quality time be there at the moments where it's pertinent. Be that person that was the first one to give them roses. Be that first um, Valentine's Day. Be that person that was there at their graduation, there at their recitals. Push them to do things that they haven't seen. Be that person that they travel with. My daughter is my best travel companion. You know what I'm talking about? We travel uh, every December because we don't do Christmas. We make sure that we get out of here. Those are the things that you have to install. And if a brother is dating a person who, if the situation doesn't work out with a mother of their child and he's dating a person that is is kind of afraid of that relationship you need to look at yourself in the mirror and make a decision ain't no man nor woman is more important than being with your child 
Yeah, because the 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 influence yeah. that that the parent has is uh is in, is insane. Like Absolutely. the degree that 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 influence that you have that that you should be that that force for that child as they grow up. Because as we come to see now that we have a lot of children in this technological age, you know, they know how to manipulate through a cell phone at three years old. You know, they know how to, I got a three year old nephew knows how to go on my brother's phone, go to YouTube and watch Paw Patrol. Mm. Like he knows how to, to watch what he wants to watch. And so these kids get so much outside influence outside of the house yeah. and they're gravitating to, you know, these IG thought models and this rapper of the week, little so and so, you know, little pistol starter, little stomach ache, <laughs> uh, you know, all, all these these different these different people and. That's who they're starting to get their influence from and, and their cues. And you're seeing the type of behavior that these people are exhibiting. Mm-hmm. You know, they're watching you, you go online at any any day of the week and you're seeing uh, this rapper getting busted for this, this person getting arrested for this or the you know people who are no longer with us, yeah. you know, because of the decisions they were making or the way that they were living their lives. You know, someone decided to cut their life short. So a, as a father that, you know, you've got a young one. Yeah. So you you still got you know it's, it's more or less halftime. We still, still waiting in for the you home. to go drop one, man. <laughs> Slow down. And so you know so when you start thinking about all the external influences, you know Shit. all the you know, all the social media stuff, right. all you know all the all the the other voices chirping in your little girl's ear, trying to get her to sway this way and that way. Like what are some of the thoughts that go through your mind, or what are the some of the things that you like? I need to make sure I'm doing this, or I need to. Presence is important, man. Presence is more important than presence. Mm. There you go. Right? Say that again yeah, for the folks in the back. Presence with a C-E is more important than presence with a T-S. Yeah. Right? So just being there is just as important, just as influential. Now, can you stop um, a child from being curious about sex or curious about what's on the internet or curious about what they see on BET? I don't think so. And then more so now because everything is, you know, through the phone or or accessible through social media, whatever, you know, you have to be there and be present in order to say, well, hey, son, hey, daughter, um, you know, that's not real life or that is a snippet of somebody's life. But behind the scenes, man, once you get off FaceTime or whatever, real life happens. And so. yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, I won't say worried, but I'm cautious and conscious about the different influences that are out there because um, you could have a two-parent household, you can have parents who are college educated and this, that, and the third, but the influence of social media, the streets, or whatever else that's out there still is very, uh, it's, it's heavy, especially when your child's at a developmental stage, when they're trying to find out who they are, trying yeah. to find themselves, right? So you got to stay in there to... Um, more or less, um, you know, weed out the influences, whether they be negative or positive. And a lot of it is, okay, whatever your friends think is cool or whatever the, the group that you want to be associated with is cool, you're going to gravitate towards that. Okay. So if they're, if cool for them is uh, the chess club, then your child hopefully will gravitate towards the chess club. But more often than not, it's not the chess club that's, that's, that's you know, <laughs> it's not the chess team that's, that's, uh, drawing their attention man it's all that stuff they see on you know ig and that type of thing so you got to be there to kind of you know be the filter for some of that yeah because a lot of parents they they, you know you worry about your kids being in gangs you worry about your kids being on drugs you worry about them having sex too early Mm -hmm. but they've got reports you know coming across the country about how uh suicide amongst teenagers Mm -hmm. as a viable way of dealing with your emotional problems Mm -hmm. about how the world is just too cold at 13. Yeah, it was. That there's just no reason to wake up tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And they've, you know, reports coming through children as young as eight and nine found hanging themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and these types of influences that they wouldn't have normally thought. But they, but the people that they look at online mm-hmm. and the stories that they see on Instagram and the Snapchat story and such and such and such and such, one after another. Uh, you know, it, like I said, I understand like the gangs and the violence and the drugs. You know, when you start thinking about the safety of your of your child, you know, like like how often in a given day, like you know, when the thought process, the, you know, like you here right now and, and your family's at home, mm-hmm. like because I I think one of the things we talk about the state of fatherhood, black fatherhood, is that it's out of sight, out of mind, mm-hmm. or it's 
you know, children are just kind of an accessory. But speaking on like how much you really think about your kids, like you think about how much you worry about them when they're not here. You still got one young at home. You've got one that's grown. Like speaking to, you know, now I'm I'm worried about where she's at when she's at school. Oh, I'm worried about where she's at when she when her and her mama go to the store real quick. You know, th- those types of things. Yeah, well, here, I, I want to right. tap in. That piece is what actually triggered me to change my attitude about how I was being a black man as a father because I spent so much of my time when my daughter was young thinking that the things that I was doing wouldn't hurt her in the long run and I was in the game and I was in the game pretty pretty thick right square up get back in the game um, and then finally uh, I had an epiphany in 2008 where it's like I can't rock, rock like this one, I don't want my daughter to ever have to shake her head or question what my father is. What does your daddy do? <laughs> I'm saying like, yo, I don't, you know, he said he's a construction worker, but he has these white girls okay, in, in our house naked, um, smoking cigarettes. You get what I'm talking about? Or having to be ashamed. Well, I don't really know where my dad's at. You know what I'm saying? I had to really come to terms that my lifestyle ultimately affects her lifestyle moving forward so if i'm going to pick up my pieces and i tell people that you only have such a a window to figure out how you want to kind of play the game or um kind of be nonchalant in whatever you feel like you need to do because eventually that child is going to get um older it's going to be a teen and they're going to be very resourceful and they're going to live their own life don't even have to worry about um saying the important parts of your our time with your child is having dinner. They're going to be able to figure out dinner. They're going to figure out a place they want to live because they'll have a friend that's always going to say, hey, you can come over to my house because that's what I was. Because me and my dad, when we stopped um, seeing eye to eye and he could no longer really force me to stay at home, I was out. Because I think one of the most important things that we forget, and when we talk about a young lady and a male, that young lady, the a uh, 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 relationship between the young girl and the father is going to probably dictate what that young girl finds in a man. And when Absolutely. you do not sit there and pour and make sure you're not building up a wall for your girl to be like, I hate all men. You got to be just like my daddy. But you're giving her enough of um, some some influence so she can see what a real man is compared to what a boy. Mm-hmm. So a Negro can't just run game on her because dad's gamed her up. Mm-hmm. Not dad has tortured her. Not dad has 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 molested her. Not dad has let her down. But dad has gamed her up. Dad has coached her. Dad has talked to her. Dad has loved her. Mm-hmm. The important part. Loved her. Mm-hmm. Liked her. Yeah. Showed her support. And I feel like when you roll around and you look at fatherhood in the black community the fact that we're as black men and this is no excuse but this is to understand as we don't deal with our own trauma whether it's a relationship that um, was, we're scorned from or a, a parent that wasn't there or some of the trauma we might have seen in the streets or in a household in a classroom where we've felt uh, uh, deficiencies there when we don't deal with this trauma, we more or less bring it into our relationships and then we spread that disease to our child. Sometimes in the fact that it can go down where I remember my child was le- reading to me one time and I started slapping her in the head when she would say a wrong word. Who did I learn that from? Mm. I learned that from my father mm. when my dad would pull on my ear every time mm. I said a word wrong. Mm. And guess what happened to me? I stopped wanting to read. Because I was in fear that every time I was going to read with my father, I was going to get punished. I snapped out of that so fast because I knew if I did that for my daughter, that is going to probably block her from wanting to learn how to read. So being in tune when we talk about suicide, being in tune with your child, asking on it every day, especially with social media as now becoming the more influential influential component compared to where us it was the streets and our friends mm-hmm. our friends will tell us something stupid to do and we go and do it yeah. where our parents were like what the hell did you do that so it was naiveness it was curiosity that killed the cat right but now it's like wait a minute that's a a person that looks just like me in alabama that did that i'm gonna do it too so when you're not connected or in tune or having these relative conversations, these real deep conversations with your child as they're maturating into their adulthood or to their teenage years and checking up on them and mindfully understanding that 
what they go through will be a little bit different than what you go through. Their journey is going to be a little bit different. There's going to be a lot of similarities, but respectfully understanding the differences in that, you'll find out there's ways that um, you can really condition your, your child to be um, greater than self, but at the same time also with knowledge, knowing you can make sure your child doesn't do something destructive to themselves. And I believe that kind of, that's kind of one of the biggest things where we go wrong as parents. We're not in tune to what is happening with our child because we're so focused on what the hell is happening to us, more worried about the bills than worried about building up the kids. And for you, doctor, when, when you – similar because I'm saying you're – Barry's already got the uh, – he, he's past a certain point yeah. on Bismarck where his daughter's grown. Though the, mm -hmm. the fears uh, and, and worried about her safety are, are just as strong. You're still in the in the hotbed yeah, of all the, the the stuff that she's right up under your roof. She has yet to see these points of reference in the world, and you. I'm sure part of you was like, "Let me just try to shield her so she doesn't see these things happening." But then I got to make sure she's exposed to enough that she can deal with it when she sees it. Mm -hmm. Like, what are some of the things that where you're at this stage right now? Well, it's the okay. My body's changing. Okay, and you know I'm going to be experiencing Man. experiencing um, <laughs> development yeah. period, all that different type of stuff, right? That's that's the latest thing, and we've been talking about that, um, you know, last week or two, um, honestly. And that's a situation, and that's a that's a um, a topic that I really don't know too much about the the woman's development because you know. Um, I just didn't experience Talk that. to your mom. <laughs> yeah, basically talk to your mom. But she needs it from both parents, yeah. right? Um, so and, I'm, she un and she definitely needs a father's understanding. Absolutely. So, you know, I'm talking to her about, okay, well, you're getting ready to go to middle school. You know, that's when I got into my curiosity stage into, you know, experimenting with girls and that type of thing. And, you know, a, a, a young boy has to respect you. If you like a boy, that's one thing. But a boy has to like you. And not only that, has to respect you for everything from the neck up. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. those types of conversations. And... You know, it's it's not easy to have that with somebody who's 11 years old, right? Yeah. You know, and I'm but necessary. But it's necessary, and it's not even easy to to bring that topic up. That's one thing. All these different school shootings. There you go. You know what I mean? And these kids walking into middle schools and high schools, and you know that type of thing, man. And it, you know, um, that scares me. You know, that definitely scares. I tell her, look, if you see somebody with a gun or you hear some gunshots. This is what you need to do. You need to get low. You need to do. But I got to have these conversations with her um, or with my niece or something like that. And it's like, man, you know, these are tough conversations to have, but necessary. If you're getting it off of Instagram, you're going to get all type of misinformation. If you're getting yeah. it from Facebook or all type of miscalculations, let me tell you from the best of my perspective and my ability on how you should you know, do these things. Um, so again, it's having these conversations, it's touching on these topics that are not, um, not easy to touch on, touching about race and her hair, my daughter's hair is in lock. So, you know, um, not everybody's hair is going to look like yours, Exactly. you know, not everybody's skin is going to be like yours. And so with that, you're going to have some experiences okay. that are different. So, so uh, have you reached a point to where you really have the racial conversation? Because we're speaking to <clears throat> the, the state of, of black fatherhood in America and some of the misnomers and misinformation about how black men are, are actually there for our children. Yeah. We do are, are emotionally Hell connected there for our children. that we care. But when you so we've taken the racial component, you'll see something like, OK, so now the big thing is the detained children in the mm, border mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where you have all America up in uproar over these detained children. Yeah. And I don't take I don't think that anybody, no, no children should be locked up in little cages uh, uh, under any circumstance like that or separated from their parents. Like that but it's interesting to see the dynamic on how uh, racially this country makes its exceptions mm -hmm. because there's no issue about separating black children. Right. Not at all. There, there, there's no issue about you know black families being separated. That Make actually them uncomfortable. Used, that actually used to be legal policy back when that was policy during the Lyndon B. Johnson era, where black women wanted to get on welfare, and the only way that they could do it is that they had to kick the man out the yeah, home. They couldn't be in the home. And they used to go door to door for any woman on state assistance and physically check the house, make sure there were no boots, there were no men coats. If you had a son and he was of a certain size, that jacket better not fit him, or you weren't <laughs> going to get state assistance. And that only applied to black women, not to white women who were on state 
assistance. So this country has got a long-standing history of breaking up black families without batting an eyelash. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you see it now that everybody's protesting in arms over separating uh, these children that don't happen to be black. So as you raise your child up now, how much it, how much conversation do you have on the racial component of her growing up? Is mm-hmm. her is her mother black? Yep. Okay, so you you raising a black uh, a straight up black girl with straight up black hair with straight up black feet because that does make a difference. It that does. that is, that uh, ambiguous middle of the road when you talk about mixed children. She could be Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. She could be Hawaiian. You you were raising a straight up young black woman. How do you have those black conversations? Yep, you got to because again. At some point in everybody's life, who was black in America, you're gonna have that experience. You're gonna have the 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 interaction, the encounter, yeah. where you're gonna be made to feel different for being black. So let's try and address that up front. You know, um, unfortunately, as much as you want to address it, hey, these things are happening because a person's black, or a person's gonna look at you this way, or treat you this way or that way because you're black. Until they have that experience, you know. Um, you can talk to you blue in the face, but the experience or the encounter itself is going to make them feel a certain way. So anyway, back to the point. Yes, we have to understand that we are African-American. We are of African descent. We are black. We are, you know, uh, uh, melanated, whatever the whatever the whatever the, the term label, we are this decade. Right. Whatever label that you uh, want to subscribe to. But at the end of the day, because of our skin color, our complexion, our features, we're going to be treated a certain way. And that goes for black girls as well as it goes for black boys. Yeah. Right. Um, Have you, got, you already had an incident? She has. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. She has. And she had an incident in kindergarten. You know, now, does she remember that? Maybe, maybe not. I haven't brought that up with her, but I recall yeah. vividly, you know, and the teacher said this and that because of her skin. or that. So. Um, again, we have these conversations. I try not to put it in a negative light, but just, hey, we are black. And, you know, we've had this history and these things have occurred to people that look like us and that type of thing. But that doesn't mean that you any less than anybody else. Or for lack of a better term, it doesn't mean that you any more than anybody else. Right. We are who we are. We're family. We, you know, are people who have done some great historic things over time and still currently. And our blackness is a badge of honor, not a necessarily badge of shame. See, I think that these are all very important conversations that we need to start having on the regular. That if we leave it up to somebody else to, to dictate our narrative about how we live our lives in our families, in our communities, you'll see that they're going to paint that painting any way they want to. Well, they have that, but that we it's need to get control of our own brush, get control of our own strokes, of our own paint, yeah. and tell our story the way that not only it was intended, but the way it really happens. Black fatherhood in America is the fact that it's even a conversation when we don't address Latino fatherhood in America, oh. or we don't address Asian fatherhood in America, or Caucasian fatherhood in America, already lets you know what the narrative is trying to be painted. You already know what the picture is trying to be look looking like. Yeah. And the fact is that as long as we stand up in our communities and we stand up with our family and we take control of our own narratives, use our own voices on our own platforms and keep it about us. They can say whatever they want to say about us as long as we show up like we're supposed to show up and that not letting the narrative that that speaks ill of you become your fate anymore or falling into it because it becomes easier because someone didn't expect you to do something anyway so you're just gonna go ahead and not be nothing that as long as we stand up as long as we're the men that we need to be that we were born to be and that our communities and families need us to be we'll be all right and that these are things that we need to walk that walk talk that talk and definitely say something about I'm Jermaine Morris here with Barry Axius with special guest Dr. Khalid White in the building. My brother, big shout out, yo. Shout out, shout out, shout out. me, fellas. Author of Black Fatherhood, Trials and Tribulations. That's it. The book as well as the documentary. Where can folks get get copies and where can folks find you online? They can find me on www.blkmpwr. That's blackempower.com. I'm also, you know, all my stuff is on Amazon and that type of thing for the mainstream audience, right? But, um, you know, black-owned business, www.blkmpwr. And, um, hey, social media handles? Yep, at Black Empower on everything, Instagram, Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, you know what I mean? You can also look me up, Khalid White, K-H-A-L-I-D, last name White. Doctor. Doctor Khalid White. White. Yeah. Um, you know, so Google it, look me up, um, you know. I'm not 
hiding or ducking. I'm, I'm not hard to find. And uh, again, thank you guys for the opportunity to be here. Always a pleasure. And uh, yeah. Thank you for being here. Where can folks find you online, Barry? Oh, man. Where can folks find me? They can find me in a. No, they can follow me on Barry Axius. <laughs> Facebook, um, Barry Axius. Uh, Twitter and at Instagram is at Team Void. Um, just want to leave this note of, you know, black fatherhood is a scary thing, just like anything else, but it's a necessary thing, Ooh. right? So we definitely need to make sure that Absolutely. brothers understand it is a very much a privilege. Yeah. So if you are not ready or prepared to take on the responsibility, because we got a lot of bad mojos running around here and they not running around here being made by themselves, they mm -hmm. got parents, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, 20-year-old brother uh, got killed by another young brother, 22, in Florida. And that's just not by coincidence. All I always ask is um, where the fathers are at, right? Mm -hmm. Let's look at some of our some of our other great rap artists that have passed away. Mm -hmm. You're always wondering, where was the father's influence at? And for the fathers that don't think that it's important to keep on um, delivering message of real or uh, delivering message of love and support to their child when the child gets a certain age, you are part of the problem problem that we have right now in the black community we need fathers to be fathers for the long haul it is death do us part yeah. fatherhood is just like a marriage <laughs> you know what i'm saying if a, a real marriage mm -hmm. right there ain't no divorce into this so that's all i gotta say on that thank one. you for that i'm jermaine morris on facebook every other social media platform is at j morris ceo this has been the say something podcast and until next show we will holler at you later yes sir